Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Friday. It is November 24th. Happy Black Friday. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you guys had an awesome Thanksgiving. I hope it, even if you didn't have a good Thanksgiving, even Thanksgiving's rough for you, Green Bay Packers kicked ass. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to also talk about the Mark Kickle and Eagles falling short to the Purdue Boilermakers. We'll give some grades there. We're also going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks losing to the Boston Celtics. It was not all rainbows and unicorns, unfortunately. I wish I could come on here and talk about all those teams winning, but we got one out of three. And let's be honest, maybe the best one of of the three. If, if If we're really being honest of the one that you needed to win the most, I think that's the one one we wanted. Sorry I didn't get you a pod yesterday recapping both games. Uh, it turns out uh, it was not going to work. So that we're doing all of it today. It's going to be a load show. Maybe I'll mention Badgers, uh, Minnesota at the very end. Uh, since that is happening uh, on Saturday, this uh, week rolls on with great stuff. Uh, Bucks do have a in-season tournament game tonight as well. So we'll maybe talk about that too. Uh, but yeah, that's today's show. Uh, for those who don't know, we're on social media, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. Uh, make sure you're following along on all the platforms that you have available to yourself. If you're already doing that, uh, you know the deal. I want you subscribing. If you're coming in because you started listening to the Marquette uh, podcast and we have a loyal Marquette uh, fan base that listens to Tapping the Keg and that rides with Tapping the Keg. So and we really appreciate them and we appreciate everybody, but they just show out time and time again. Uh, we had some great uh, stuff with Green Bay today, uh, so if you guys are following along from that, uh, you guys know that this podcast does it four days a week, uh, most weeks. Uh, every now and again, you'll get the f- five time a week or three time if things are really stretch, but that's usually our podcast structure. And if you like us, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're wherever else you get your podcast. Uh, if you already are subscribed, make sure you're referring a friend, make sure you're telling people about us, drop this in the group chat. Uh, say, hey, this is the podcast I was telling you about at Thanksgiving. Uh, give it a listen. He talked all about the Packers, Bucks, and Marquette uh, on this show. So you can go listen to that. That that would be appreciated uh, from all of you. All right, let's dive in to the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers are a young team. Uh, I know that's stated in the obvious in honor of John Madden. Uh, having a John Madden sort of statement to start a podcast is probably fitting, right? Uh, but it, it's true, and we all knew it, and we all knew that there were going to be groin pains. And I think the groin pains hurt a lot more than I think we expected. Uh, I, I think maybe some people were on top of it. Maybe some people knew that it could be a rough season, but there were the few, like myself, that thought this Packer team had a bunch of talent and that they could still be something in the NFL this year, even with, even though they were young and could define those sort of odds, but I, you knew it would be hard, um, but not the, maybe not the, as hard as we as it seemed to be. The Packers have found their stride in the last few weeks. They are really seeming to figure out the NFL, and they're coming together as a team. The Packers have finally arrived. The team that some of us thought was possible in August is now here, and that is extremely exciting. The fact that Green Bay was able to see out this young team to, that they did not add a ton of veterans, that we wanted them to add veterans. We saw that, hey, yeah, they maybe needed to add more veterans in October when things were going sideways, when people were banging down the door for the Packers to tank out and get a top draft pick. Those were all things that were being stated in, in October, but everything has changed. Everything has changed. The Packers could be much better than their five and six record. And I know that's infuriating and we'll look back at that and we'll point to this young team. But what they're building is important. What they're building is an identity. And Green Bay is there today. And it should terrify the rest of the NFC North. It should terrify the NFC and terrify the NFL. Because this looks like a team that has the tools to be something real in the, in the years to come. The funny thing is, is that Green Bay did not have all their weapons today and they still looked fucking good. They looked like the eight and two team. They looked like the motherfuckers that have been running this division all year long. Looked like old Packers and Lions from the absolute get-go. 
Matt LaFleur doesn't always take the ball, but he did in this game, and they threw a deep ball right away. Apparently, LaFleur was going to go away from the deep ball. Jordan Love convinced him to keep it in. Thank God he did. And that was the immediate punch to the Detroit Lions. For so often, the Packers have got punched by the Dan Campbell Lions. That Dan Campbell has just punched them in the face. I did a podcast after the, the Lions lost earlier this year, and I said the Packers have a Lions problem. And that they can't play against Detroit. That they are, they get, they, they're too reactive. They get punched in the face. They have no idea how to handle it. And that they need to be the aggressor. They need to be the bully. And that's exactly what the Green Bay Packers were. That's exactly what this young team was. It was absolutely fearless from the jump, and they showed no signs of worrying about Detroit. They didn't take Detroit seriously. They knew that Detroit was a Super Bowl team, and they didn't give a fuck. They took them to the woodshed. I realize the score says 29-14, to 14, but this was a complete beatdown by the Green Bay Packers. This score does not indicate how well Green Bay played from start to finish in this football game and set the tone immediately. And I just am truly impressed with what the Packers were and the combination of this this young team arriving with this dominating performance against one of the best teams in the NFL has to put everybody on notice. And Matt LaFleur finally seemed comfortable to let it hang and let it all come out. Now, I don't know if that's because his back was against the wall, because he did not have Aaron Jones, Luke Musgrave, Dontarian Wicks, and Matt LaFleur is just like, all right, well, fuck it, let's ball. If that's the case, that's how Matt LaFleur needs to come into every game. Because I swear to God, man, when the when the back's against the wall, he always busts it out. We saw it against Arizona when everybody had COVID. We saw it against Kansas City when Rodgers had COVID and you had to manage a game with a Jordan Love that was not ready to be an NFL starter. Yet you were in that game till the very end in Kansas City when the Chiefs were at maybe their most explosive as an offense. So I don't know what LaFleur needs to do to think this way all the time. But it would be appreciated because I love this version of the Green Bay Packers. I think we all did. I think everybody was watching this game with family likely and being like, who the fuck are these guys? And I think that's the makeup of a young team. I know that sounds weird, right? But at some point it all clicks. At some point it all comes together. And the Packers, are, are that's happening. It's happening at the exact perfect time. I worried, and I didn't say, I don't know, I don't think I said it on the podcast. I, I definitely thought about it. I, there, I, I have so many thoughts that just don't end up making the podcast. But I, I definitely thought like, fuck, they're going to figure this out and they're going to be out of the playoff race. And it's gonna, they're going to be like four and eight. They're going to lose to Detroit. They're going to lose to Kansas City. And then all of a sudden, everything's going to come together and they're going to end up being, you know, nine and eight at the end of the year, eight and nine. And it, they were just a little too late to figuring it all out. No, they figured it out against, I, I think really that Rams game was kind of the start of it. That, that, okay, they dominate a team. Pittsburgh, they were in it till the very end, probably should have won that game. And then they go out and they beat, come back and beat the Chargers. They hung with the Chargers all game long. Injuries kept happening. People kept dropping like flies and they did not give a fuck and they won that football game. And then Detroit, they were finally the aggressors. And I told you guys, I felt like the Packers were playing better. When we talked about this game on Wednesday, I felt like Green Bay sort of was kind of ascending while Detroit was on the decline a little bit. Now I'm not saying Detroit's going to collapse, but it is December and like Christmas, Detroit and collapses are just something that happens that time of month. So who knows? This Green Bay Packer team was unlike anything you've seen because it's a team that's growing up and a team that has grown up. And now they are very dangerous and they are very live and they are live for a playoff spot and they are live for being one of the most promising young teams in the National Football League. And I'm very excited about it. I can't, I can't lie to you. I even went as far to looking at the 2021 Cincinnati Bengals. Yes, that Bengals team went to the Super Bowl. I, I know what you're thinking. That was a young Bengals team. They weren't, they didn't, I was hoping <laughs> to, to fit the podcast narrative. I was like, 
I hope they were like four and six or like five, uh, like five and five or something like that. They were actually seven and four, and they had just kicked the Steelers' ass on November the twenty eighth. Now they did end up losing three straight, two straight games before then winning three straight, making the playoffs, and they ended up winning the division. They would gut out a victory against the Las Vegas Raiders. No one thought they'd beat Tennessee, and then the rest is history. But the reason why I would bring up that Bengals team is because that was a weak AFC year, and the Bengals kind of got in when they, they, they were a year early. And I'm not saying that. I'm not going as far to saying the Packers are going to be in the Super Bowl, but that's, that's what a game like this can do. You can have some dumb thoughts, and I think they can compete with Kansas City. I felt better about Kansas City versus Detroit, honestly, because you're at home and Kansas City's offense has not looked like the Kansas City offense of old. And so I thought there was a real opportunity, especially if it's going to get cold. I haven't looked at the weather, but even if it's going to be 40 degrees and sunny during the day, it gets cold at Lambeau at night. And it's going to be 720 and pitch black uh, in Lambeau, which will be an awesome environment. And NBC has to be pumping their fist that the Packers are, are worth a damn coming in hot, winning two straight. So that game ha- means more, but it also means that the Green Bay Packers are very much alive and they're right in the playoff hunt. Seattle loses today. Uh, and Seattle has a really tough schedule, which we outlined and said there could be two NFC North teams in the playoffs. And that Packer Vikings game on New Year's Eve all of a sudden becomes a big deal. But this is not a fantasy. This, you're seeing this Packer team grow up. You're seeing this Packer team, the vision of Brian Gunacoust come to life. And we've been really hard on Brian Gunacoust, but it's hard to really rag on Goody when it seems like his last two draft picks are absolute, or last two draft classes are absolute home runs and that they nailed the draft from start to finish. That's really hard to do. And the Packers have done it back to back years. And God damn it, if it weren't for COVID, I, I, I have no idea. I, that's the, that's going to keep, that keeps me up at night because the third <laughs> year, three guys and year four guys aren't the same way as the year one and year two guys, which says a lot. And we, I would love to know how that all went wrong, but that's it that we're, we're staying positive today. It's a positive, positive show. This Packer team has grown up and I'm so excited to see what's to come in the next six weeks. All right, let's stick with the Green Bay Packers. Let's go to Golden Kegs. Uh, for those who are new listeners, uh, Golden Kegs are what we do after every Packer game. We go five kegs to one keg, five being the best, one being the worst. We talk mostly about players, but sometimes situational stuff, sometimes different things that happen during the game, uh, moments in my life. Uh, so it, it's it's kind of all all over the place. I would say all over the place because that makes it sound like I don't like note it down. But yeah, it's, we talk about a lot of stuff. Five kegs is Jordan Love. Uh, Jordan Love was again terrific. Jordan Love again played his best football. The people who have kind of doubted Jordan Love nationally were like, oh wow. Jordan Love looks like a top 10 quarterback. Jordan Love looks like uh, uh, their guy. He looks like a franchise quarterback. He looks, you know, there was a lot of Jordan Love love in the national spotlight. And this was really the first game for Love in that spotlight since week one, right? Like, I think that's the last time the pack, well, the Monday night game where it was terrible. And that was the last time the national viewing public saw Jordan Love. And now I think people are starting to see what we've been seeing the last few weeks. He's been fucking awesome. And he continued to be in this game. Love finished with 22 for 32, 262 yards, three touchdowns, a quarterback rating of 125. He did not take a sack. He did not throw an interception. He did not fumble the football. He played a perfect football game. And the fact that Fox, which God bless him for it, had the stat that both Favre and Rodgers had awesome first Thanksgiving game, Thanksgiving Day games. Favre lost his, which was to Jason Garrett, by the way, uh, 42 to 31. I still remember that. It's, it's one of those early memories of football for me. I believe it's 94. You can fact check me on that. Or 95. That's right around when I started understanding sports, 6, 7. And every, my mom's family used to join us for Thanksgiving. Or they, it was every other year, but my grandma and grandpa always be there. But it was a, it was a whole uh, whole clan for my mom. And Jason Garrett was taking over Troy Eggman. I think Emmett Smith also missed that game. 
And so all of us were hyped. We're like, well, okay, we're finally going to beat the Cowboys. But I think it was 95. Now that I think about this, I think it's 95. And we're like, we're all going to beat the Cowboys. We're going to beat the Cowboys finally. We always have to play at Texas Stadium, whatever. And then Jason Garrett just fucking went to town on that Green Bay Packers team. And we got our asses kicked. Uh, before I've had a great game in that game. But anyways, that's that's a, a core Thanksgiving sports memory for me. Uh, but anyways, Jordan Love was awesome. Uh, he continues to look awesome. I think the Love believers are at an all-time high. I think the Love doubters are now on the side of the believers. Uh, the, the contract for Jordan Love is coming. I don't know when, uh, but it, it's going to come here soon. And I don't think it's an overreaction. He looks he looks the part. And he just there are some great moments. The deep ball still needs work, but again, you can you can get there. Like that, if that's what you need, if that's the one thing that's lacking, okay. It's or it's early, right? Like it's early in his career. That it could take time. But yeah, Jordan Love was truly terrific. I already talked about Matt LaFleur, but Matt LaFleur gets a five keg as well. Uh, just a great, great game call, game script. Uh, really changed what they were doing against the Lions. And again, took it to Detroit and did not get bullied. Five kegs to Rashawn Gary. Uh, Rashawn Gary, just tr- special, special game for Rashawn Gary. Uh, seven tackles total, three sacks. Uh, he forced a fumble at a fourth down sack of Jared Goff. Uh, Rashawn Gary was terrific. He did also recover a fumble. He sacked and fumbled the guy. He was completely a game wrecker against Taylor Decker, who's one of the better offensive linemen in football. Uh, the Green Bay Packer pass rush could get their own five keg because they had 20 pressures. And again, this is the Lions team that's offensive line is considered the best or one of the best in the NFL. So the fact the Packers were doing that is truly impressive. But Gary was the leader of that, you know, looking like a young Reggie White getting off the edge. Uh, he really played great. Uh, in this one and it's very special considering the fact that it was you know where he tore his ACL and then they had the locker room on which now I guess Fox scrubbed that it's no longer on uh, their socials which is weird I don't know why they scrubbed it they they pinned the tweet they had a ton of engagement on it and now it's been deleted I don't know if the Packers asked them to be deleted that they I'm sure they invited him into the locker room I think that went over TV so I have no idea what happened there but yeah it's which is super weird, but anyways, uh, it was a great moment. And if you missed it, unfortunately, basically Lafleur gives Rashawn Gary the game ball. He talks about how like he's really proud of him for the game, and this was the place where he got hurt. And then Rashawn Gary's like, "I'm sick and tired of crying in front of y'all," and he's breaking down crying, and everybody's huddled around him. And just the energy you got from that is like this team's making the playoffs. Like this team might not lose the rest of the season. That that was the type of energy that I got off of that. Two, one minute video clip was just how close and connected this entire team is. And look, I, I, I don't like to do this, but I, we didn't see that with Rodgers and the guys the last couple of years. We just didn't. Okay. And you can, if you're a Rodgers defender, like, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, that just was not the, I did not see that connective tissue uh, with that Packer, that Packers team last year. Other five keg to Jonathan Owens. Uh, I have no idea what got into Jonathan Owens. I don't know if they told Jonathan Owens he was going to get cut. If he finally got to do anal on Simone, I have no idea. Uh, but like, seriously, this was an awesome game from Jonathan Owens. He was bringing the lumber, had 12 total tackles. He had a scoop and score. Uh, it was just an incredible game for Jonathan Owens. And I, I Look, like if this is the version that he's going to bring to the table, like I'm all in on that idea. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of what that what that is. Uh, he still had some moments where it was a little shaky uh, out in pass coverage, but this this is a version of Jonathan Owens I like. And so I don't know if Joe Barry told him, "Hey, play a little more reckless," or even uh, Greg Williams, their their DBs coach, was like, "Hey, yeah, maybe take a few more chances. Maybe do this, do that." But it was is a really encouraging outing from John, Jonathan Owens. Also, five keg to Christian Watson. Uh, Christian Watson hurt the haters, right? Uh, Christian Watson had a massive game. He had the big catch to start the game, but 
Watson had five catches, 94 yards, and a touchdown. He was ripping shit, uh, abused the Lions secondary. This is the Christian, Christian Watson everybody expected at the start of the year. That was the wide receiver one we thought we were getting. Uh, and yes, he hasn't had a great year, but it's not to say that he can't finish strong. And Watson looked really good. I uh, did not end up with any sort of injury. Uh, the Packers fed him early and it seemed to kind of get his confidence going. And maybe that's what they what he needs, right? Maybe he needs a few early balls to him to kind of get him going and kind of rev his engine. Uh, you know, and, if, and some guys are like that, right? We see that in basketball all the time where there are certain players where if they don't score right away, they're kind of ineffective the entire game and so maybe that's just how you got to treat Christian Watson and he played great today though uh and I hope this is a sign of things to come I hope that this is not just a blip on the radar uh for Christian Watson I hope that that we really sort of see this continue throughout the the end of the year I realize maybe it's not always gonna be five for 95 but you, you get the idea right you get you get the point uh four kegs Malik Heath I wondered uh, on Wednesday's show, I said, could Malik Heath have his Alan Lazard moment? And if you remember, Alan Lazard, undrafted rookie. No, it was a rookie. I, I fucked that up last on Wednesday too. Like he had the moment against the Lions where he was put, filled in because of injuries and played really well on that Monday night. And Malik Heath did the same. He had four catches, 46 yards. Uh, he was you know open and made a couple sure-handed catches. Uh, yeah, give me more Malik Heath snaps. And now you just have another wide receiver that you can kind of rotate in among your other four. He took advantage of his opportunity today. And, you know, I, I hope Dontrarian Wicks is back from his, his concussion. I'm not saying don't, I, I want him. Like Wicks is awesome too. And so now you have a, another wide receiver. It's like, hey, should they just go empty, so go empty and go five wide and see, see how the Chiefs would stop it? With Spagnola's blitzing, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it could work. But Malik Heath needs a couple more snaps. So great stuff from Malik Heath. Uh, also, even four kegs of beers. I know that that's <laughs> that's pretty funny, but like, uh, it was an enjoyable beer experience for me at uh, Thanksgiving. I was at my in-laws' uh, uncle's house, and they had a bunch of Pittsburgh beers, uh, Yingling and Penn Lager, uh, because her, his son had went to the Steelers-Packers game. And it must have brought some back. And I, I enjoyed the shit out of that. I was riding it all day. The only time I did not have a beer in my hand, like just casually sipping. I wasn't like getting drunk or anything. But the only time I didn't have a beer in my hand during this game was when the Lions scored the touchdown on the second half. And I was like, okay, I got I to gotta keep the beers going. I switched locations. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a superstitious day for your boy. But yeah, it was a good, good beer performance. Uh, really enjoyed that. Four kegs are starting fast. Gosh, uh, how, how much more fun is football when you just start with your piss red hot? Uh, it's great. Uh, it just makes an entire difference out there. And I, I really hope that this is a sign of things to come, that Green Bay has kind of figured out some of their early early game woes, if you will, right? Like I, I hope that that has sort of been nipped in the bud and that they're kind of able to now push the ball a little bit more, a little earlier and often, and that this this sort of slow starts are a thing of the past. Now, are there going to be games where you don't score, you score like ten points in the first in the first half? Yes, for sure. Like that's that's football. It's never, it's not always going to be rosy. But I, I just hope that more often than not, the Packers are starting fast. Four K to Anthony Johnson Jr. I look, I can't believe. And we just we talked about Goot earlier about his draft class, but I can't believe that they're gonna have two seven seven round seventh rounders that are gonna play integral parts to what the Packers do going forward. And I know we had that with the Chiefs, right? Chiefs had the two seventh rounders in the Super Bowl last year. And Anthony Johnson Jr. is a stud. Like and I I think that there is a case to be made that Anthony Johnson Jr. should stay the starter, even though once Savage and Ford come back. Um, I think Anthony Johnson Jr. just plays with a reckless abandon in the best way possible. And I just love the energy he brings. He had a huge hit. Uh, I think it was on Montgomery. Uh, it might have been Gibbs. I don't, regardless, like it was a big ass hit. And just just haven't seen that a lot with your safeties throughout the years. So yeah, I've been really impressed with Anthony Johnson. I uh, definitely think there's a case to be made that he should continue as the this safety for the Packers. Uh, so, and he had a nice day. Uh, he finished with, what, at six, they have six, seven, eight, eight, excuse me, eight, 
Eight tackles, one pass deflection. It was a good good day for Anthony Johnson. Uh, three kegs, Tucker Craft. I realize he only had two catches, 16. He did get a touchdown. But I, I do think the thing that I like is that he looked comfortable out there. And he looked the part. And I think that's really encouraging for a guy who looked raw early on in this year and looked like it might take some time. And we, we talked about how Goddard said the part of my take. Like, it took forever to figure it out because you were playing at, at South Dakota State and you just were facing these really small guys. So Kraft picking it up halfway through the season is is a huge bright spot. And you're going to need Tucker Kraft here for probably, I think Musgrave went on the IR. So it's at least four weeks here for Tucker Kraft. So hopefully it continues better. And he he had to do even more, which was Ida Garrett not playing because of a hip injury. Lucas Van Ness, I keep seeing Lucas Van Ness get in on plays. Like he's not playing a ton of snaps, but he's getting in there. And he's he's finding a way to make himself felt. He had a good chase down uh, on a like a hitch route, and so while I put this three keg, not necessarily because of the way he played, he did get he did what he had five tackles, three tackles in this game, and did have a TFL and a quarterback hit. I I just think it's more of a hey, watch out, keep your eye out for Luke Van Ness here in the coming weeks because I, I just think there is a breakout game brewing. Maybe he won't get enough snaps for something like that, but I could certainly see Van Ness coming up with a two sack game. It would not surprise me. Three kegs also to Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed had a great touchdown early. He had a nice little reverse play early on. Uh, the alligator arm play that he had was brutal because uh, I think if the Packers get that, they're in scoring range and they kind of put the lines away and there's no sort of onside kick shenanigans at the end of this game. Um, so, oh, <laughs> I realized I said 29-14. I meant 29-22. Uh, sorry. I just realized I did that when I said 29-22. I was like... That my bad on that uh, from earlier, but that's that's okay. Uh, yes, I they the Packers could have done a lot better if Jaden Reed had made that catch, and I, I I feel like he short he short armed it and could have definitely reached out for that grab. Two kegs goes to Anders Carlson. He did make a field goal, but he did miss miss one from sixty three, which is not his fault. But he also missed an extra point. Just don't know how how much longer you can go with Carlson. It's gonna get cold now. Uh, can he kick in the cold? I don't know. Uh, yeah, a lot of questions about Andres Carlson, man. Uh, it's not it's not pretty for him right now. Uh, and he's really he's really struggling and kind of just needs to see a few go in. But it, I'm, I'm not like I talked about it last week where it's like I, I worry about letting a rookie kicker go because you just worry. You just wonder, like, will he catch on at the next place? Right. Just like his brother did. And that's that's the fear. I also have a two keg for Devondra Campbell, Jair Alexander, and Darnell Savage. So all those guys were hurt. Uh, Alexander, again, shoulder injury, I guess. Kind of just playing when he wants to. Darnell Savage, I realized, was on the IR and just came back. I would imagine you have him for the Chiefs game. Campbell missed it because of that stinger, the neck issue uh, at the end of the Chargers game. Starting to wonder if these guys, like, how many, how, like, safe is their job when it comes back now Jair you're like that's egregious yeah you're probably right okay like Jair yeah you need him back right Ballantyne you know he has played okay but he's not Jair Alexander so Alexander is back but for Savage and Campbell like Isaiah McDuffie I, I don't know if I'd go as far to say he's a dude but he's kind of playing like a Jag plus just the guy plus like just a little bit better than just the guy and so that's encouraging and Quay Walker and I just feel like they're a little faster at linebacker with those two so it's like are, are we just going to give Devondre Campbell back the green dot why I don't know I, I think they will but I, I just wonder and same with Savage I mean Anthony Johnson Jr I I thought he played a little bit of strong safety and so that's where I'm wondering because I want Rudy Ford still out there because I think Rudy Ford has had a pretty good year so I just wonder, can you move Anthony Johnson Jr. up and then put Savage at like nickel corner or something like that? Maybe that was the plan all along with the Rasul Douglas trade and that they were going to move Savage back to corner, which I know he didn't want to do. But I just wonder, you know, now it looks like Johnson Jr. is pretty established. And I don't, and I also think Rudy Ford deserves to be out there. I, I, and I don't think you can do a three safety look. I don't think that's going to work. Like if you have Savage as a rover, maybe, I'm not sure. But I don't really think that, you know, these guys should just get 
preferential treatment. If you're playing better with these other dudes, like, why not? Like, just see what's there and don't rush them back. Like, I don't know. It sounds crazy. I, the Jair one, I think you need Jair, but the other guys, I'm not like, I don't feel like they should just be given back their starter starting roles. I realize they will be, but I, I don't know if that's, that's warranted, right? One keg, Jack Harlow. Oh man. All right. Hand up. I don't mind Jack Harlow. Um, I, I kind of like his music. The Loving On Me song is, I, I just, it's so fucking catchy. Um, I, and I've seen a lot of attractive women dance to it. So maybe that's part of it too. Uh, but like, yeah, it's, it, I, I enjoy that song. I enjoy some other Jack Harlow. I have Jack Harlow music all over my workout playlists, which I could share on, on Spotify. Uh, they are, I have like, I think 110 saves. So I obviously know what I'm doing right from a curation perspective, but Brutal performance. Uh, the amount of Jack Harlow jokes that went through everybody's living rooms were probably off the charts. I would imagine that most Packer fans that were in the Wally Walkshaw areas or the Andy Antigos or the Ethan O'Claires were probably, it was a little hot. It was a little hotter, a little more inappropriate than it probably should be. Uh, definitely celebrated No Filter Friday a day early. Uh, but yeah, that was brutal uh, from him. John Runyon, like, I don't know how much more we got to see. Like, John Runyon had a, a bad hold. He then had a false start. He missed the block to, that would have sprung a huge run. Like, just get, get fucking Sean Ryan in there. How much more do you need? And the last of the turkey leg. Everybody else got turkey legs, but Jordan Love didn't get a turkey leg. Like, what the fuck is that about? Like, why didn't Jordan Love get a turkey leg? Like, and apparently, maybe it's because Greg Olson basically finger fucked a turducken and that's why because he got in there like he was getting into some young miami puss instead of giving it to jordan love and if that's the case greg olson owes us a goddamn turducken like that's what they should get one shipped to green bay that's on greg and we should not take any of it jordan love got robbed of a fucking turkey like man like look at the feast the niners were having in nbc like Cut back some of your budget. Stop paying for David Ortiz, Jeter, and Tom Brady. And maybe you'd have enough money for a goddamn turkey like Christ. So that's that's how we end it. But hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk a lot of Packers uh, next week. And as we get ready for the Chiefs. Wow. Big game. Different feel game, right? Like it definitely does not feel like that, that was the hardest game on the schedule. At the start of the year. And Chiefs are still very good defensively. But... That offense is, is vulnerable, man. That offense is beatable. Can Joe Barry take down Patrick Mahomes? Uh, that, I mean, that's something else. That's like a that's like an NFL player going up against like a D3 defensive coordinator. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. But we'll talk a lot about it next week as we get ready for another primetime game for your Green Bay Packers. All right, let's move on to basketball. Uh, really, for both Marquette and the Bucks, it was about what ifs, right? They came so close to both winning and we're having this awesome week and they, they couldn't get it done. Uh, so we're going to start with Marquette because uh, I, as we said, my Marquette people are great. Uh, they show out. So we got to give them what they want. Got to put them ahead of Milwaukee Bucks. Now, some people might say that's sacrilegious, Charlie, but I, I'm just going off of what the people want. It's like my guy, Tim at Worst Bar. He let us choose what games we wanted to watch at the bar because we were the customers. So my customers are my listeners, and here we go. So we're, that's why we're talking Marquette first. Marquette loses to Purdue, 78-75. to 75, But I think nobody really cared. Like, I, I and I know that sounds flippant because it's like you lose, and you're like, oh, should be upset. You should be crestfallen. But really, is anybody, is anybody upset after this game? Marquette play their asses off to come back against UCLA. They dominate Kansas. And then they were a half-court shot away from beating to tying Purdue and going into overtime with, right now, what looks like the best team in the nation. How can, how can you be upset about that? How can you also be upset that they, it was 45-33 to 33 after one half of play and Marquette came storming all the way back? Marquette could have waved the white flag, said, all right, whatever. We didn't finish Maui. That sucks. But And lose by like 15. And they didn't. They didn't at all. They were like, nope, fuck it. We're going to try to come back. We're going to try to win this game. And they came damn close. And if it isn't for Zach Eady Tippin 
and a couple ill-advised shots late, maybe they would have. But it's not one to hold your hat on. I saw my guy Allen say that they should be number two in the country next week. I, I think there's a reasonable case for it. I don't know if they'll do it. I, I think Arizona and Duke might, might find their way past Marquette, which is kind of ridiculous. But I, I think that's what might end up happening, which, which sucks. Uh, I'll be honest. They should be at least number three. Uh, but I know these polls are weird and they, they do dumb things. And they, they're way too react, reactionary to certain losses and other things that happen. But this Marquette team is here. Like this Marquette team is very, very real. And I'm, I'm here for it. Like I am all the way here for Marquette being one of the best teams in college basketball. And I think that's been established after the week in Maui. So every game we, we do, do give grades, uh, A to F, sort of seeing how everybody shaped out in this game. Uh, an A to Tyler Kolick. After two rough Maui games, Tyler Kolick was absolutely awesome in this one. He finishes with 22 points, six, seven rebounds, six assists, uh, and a steal. Like, awesome night from Kolick. Played 37 minutes nearly the entire game. He was in his bag just taking that Purdue guard group to task. Like, and they're good. Don't get me wrong. Like, Baden Smith, Fresh Lawyer, Lance Jones, like, they're solid players, but they had no answer for Tyler Cole, who was just absolutely abusing them the entire game and looked like one of the best players in college basketball. Like, I would say Edie's performance was probably better than Tyler Kolick's. Actually, I know it's better than Tyler Kolick's, but Tyler's right there with him. And I think that they are they potentially are one two right now in terms of the Wooden Award. And I, I think that's not an outrageous thing to say. Uh, I know Tyler struggled the last two games, but again, the presence of Kolick is there. And Purdue didn't do as much of that. They they wanted Tyler Kolick maybe to beat them a little bit more and cut off the other guys. And Tyler Kolick stepped it up. And he that's what he's done, you know, time and again, being that catalyst from our cut. And was a huge part of the comeback that the Golden Eagles had in that second half. Uh, B goes to Cam Jones. Cam Jones also had a pretty good game. Like, I, I can't discount the game. He actually had a better offensive rating, so maybe he should have got the A. But he had 17 points on six, seven to 13 shooting. Uh, made One made three, had five assists. I think just the fact that both guards for Marquette, Jones and Kolick, had 11 combined assists is really good. He actually didn't have a tournament. Maybe I should have flipped that. Maybe let's flip that. Cam Jones, the A, uh, Tyler Kolick, the B. But uh, Cam Jones played really well in this game, was extremely in control, got big buckets for Marquette when they they needed them, and really found ways you know, to kind of penetrate this defense and continues to play well. Uh, you know, he struggled a little bit with fouls against UCLA, but you know, came on strong in that Kansas game, then has another good game against... Purdue and you know has had a good one all season so you know I think as long as Cam Jones continues to play within himself he's going to be one of the top players in the Big East uh, and it, it showed against Purdue on Wednesday night a C to Oso Aguidara um, look Oso had a, actually a pretty good game offensively like he had 16 points 8 of 10 from the field uh, he did he make yeah he didn't shoot Wolf the free throw line and 5 rebounds uh, but the fouls were bad. And the second foul he had, with I think it was like 60 minutes left in the first half, and he jumps out on a guy and th- fouls him, you know, way away from the court. And it was just such a bad foul and an old Oso foul. And man, if that doesn't happen, that's that to me is another big what if of this game. If like you have Oso Yadar out for four more minutes, let's say, or five more minutes, before he gets his second on ED, does that change the makeup of this basketball game? Because he played really well. Like he had a 164 offensive rating, he only but he only played 26 minutes. And compared to Jones who played 31 and Kolick who played 37. So only getting 26 minutes out of Oso Yadara is pretty tough, but that's what happens with foul trouble. And I do think that that's a little bit of a book on Marquette is if you get Oso in foul trouble, it usually means you can also get Ben Gold in foul trouble. We'll talk about Ben Gold here in a second. Like that kind of is maybe a little crack for Marquette, but I'm not 
I'm not exactly worried about it. Like I'm not, I'm not sweating it at all. Uh, the other thing that I would give a, a C to is just Shock Smart's foul management. Shock Smart's very much a if you have two fouls, you go to the bench and you save them for the second half. I just don't like it. I, I there's metrics that show that it's not actually the sound way to do it. Um, I, I just think there were moments in that first half that could have been aided by Oso. And I, I realized the way the refs were calling it made maybe a little bit trepidation for Shaka. But like I, I just think like he needed to have Oso out there. And the fact that he didn't was a real bummer. So uh, I would like to see that improved uh, for you know the next time you get Oso into foul trouble. Another D for three-point shooting. I think we've given three-point shooting either a D or an F this entire uh, tournament. Look, five of 17 is rough, uh, especially when Purdue made 10. Now, granted, they really cooled down in the second half, which I think a lot of us assumed that they would. I think they were eight of 10 in the first half. And then, so they only finished, that means they were two and 11 uh, in the second half, which speaks to Marquette's defense, speaks to the adjustments they made. But you just, you lost the three-point battle by 15 points. Like, and that's, and it's rough. And you had looks, like there were a ton of looks that Marquette had that just, would not fall. And I don't think this is a bad three-point shooting team. Like, that's that's the fucked up thing. Like, as bad as the, the three-point shooting has been for Marquette, and I think they're probably one of the, not not exactly, 160 right now in Ken Pound. They're shooting 33%. So pretty average, right, for, for the Golden Eagles this season. And, and they're still, they're shooting a decent amount. Like, point distribution is 148 at the three-point line. So they're still shooting at a pretty good clip but they're just not falling. So I don't think that this is a bad three-point shooting team. I, I'm not ready to say, okay, or an average team, right? Cam Jones can hit him. Cola can hit him. Uh, Joplin, of course. I think Chase Ross hasn't really shown off that three ball, but it has has been there if time, you know, every now and again. So hopefully this is Ben Gold too. Like hopefully it's just a, a bad, you know, experience with Rims in Honolulu. And it gets a lot better, you know, as they they are home for most most of the next two weeks besides a little road trip to Madison next Saturday, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot next week. Another D to David Joplin. Uh, I actually bumped David up. I was I was going to give him an F. And then I realized he faced Zach Eady a couple times when Marquette was in foul trouble and did okay. Um, you know, I, I think as a 6'8 guy, you're never going to do great against Zach Eady, but he held his own and I have to at least acknowledge that, give him credit for it because that's not fucking easy. Um, and he did not play well offensively. He hit a big shot late to kind of pull Marquette closer. But other than that, it was a rough night for David Joplin. He only had six points. Uh, his worst performance so far this year as a starter. Um, he just needs to be more engaged. You know, we talked about that with Christian Watson where like David Joplin's literally the shining example of if he doesn't get started quick, he just disappears. We can't have that happen. Uh, and you need to figure out, like, how do you re-engage him offensively? Like, is it just finding him in the corner? Is it doing this? Is it doing that? Like, he only shot the ball two times. Like, and, and maybe that was part of Purdue's plan. I don't know. But it, it's just, you can't have that. And Joplin needs to figure out ways to, you know, kind of get himself open and work his way in there and not necessarily become, become a ghost. So hopefully we see more from that. F, that fucking half-court shot. It wasn't even a half-court shot, as someone pointed out. It's 72 feet. That doesn't go in. Marquette's tied. Like, that's how cr- how close this game was. That Lance Jones doesn't hit that shot, and it's 42-33 to 33 heading into the break. Marquette ties up this game, and we're heading to overtime. Who knows? And they had all the momentum, right? And ED was starting to kind of wear down a little bit. Like, oh, my goodness. Uh, that's just heartbreaking. Uh, I, I guess I'd rather have it happen in November than against like UConn in February. So I, I will take it here versus then or in March. So I, I will take it now versus later. And hopefully, you know, good karma comes back around uh, for Marquette. Uh, also, the Zach Eady rules. I mean, it's fucking ridiculous. Uh, Zach Eady, just I, no one knows how to officiate him. And that's that's a problem, right? Like he's been he's been in the NCAA for a while. I feel like you should know how to sort of officiate Zach Eady at this point, but nobody does. And 
he was getting called, getting fouls left and right. He got to the free throw line nine times, but that's not indicative of how many fouls he seemed to draw throughout this game. And immediately, Marquette was in foul trouble with Oso and Ben Gold, and they had to put Joplin on him. I would have put Al Amadou in the game, honestly. I, I thought that if you could have got a couple minutes out of him, just let him use up his five fouls, go ahead, just beat up Edie a little bit. But they didn't decide to do that, which is fine. That's why I'm podcasting and not on the bench with Shaka. Uh, but there just needs to be a better version of how to call Zach Eady games. And we just, I, I, it was infuriating to watch. And Purdue at one point was l- losing the foul battle to Wisconsin 7-1 to one in that first half. Another big benefactor of Purdue bouncing out to that early lead is it was an uneven whistle. And that screwed Marquette too. Uh Ben Gold and Chase Ross also get Fs. Uh, really rough game from Chase Ross. Uh, you know, had an offensive rating of 34, was 0 for 6 uh, from the field. Did have a couple rebounds. He also had three fouls. Like, yeah, that was a tough game for Chase Ross and a tough game from Ben Gold. Ben Gold, he's obviously made strides, but he did not look ready for the moment. Uh, had four fouls pretty quickly, too. He only played 10 minutes and picked up four fouls all really on Zach Eady and just not ready for the bright lights. And that's, that's okay. Uh, that, that'll happen. Uh, but yeah, that's how we have, that's how we have it for the A to F. I actually was going to give a grade. There's a bonus one to the late game stuff. I, I just, there are no timeouts. I don't, I didn't really understand that from shock smart. I didn't understand why they weren't, you know, going to take a timeout, let it settle, pick a good play out. Uh, Tyler Kolick, you know, launches a three with 14 seconds left, which was completely outrageous. And then you had Cam Jones launch, you know, a similar three without kind of passing the ball and kind of wanting that moment. I just feel like there could have been a lot better there in those late game situations. So hopefully that's something to build on going forward. All right, let's move on and finish up today's show with the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis Antetokounmpo and Milwaukee Bucks fell 119 to 116. And Giannis Antetokounmpo needs a little bit of a reality check. Giannis Antetokounmpo continues to struggle against the Boston Celtics. Giannis Antetokounmpo had been playing great, and then he ran into the Celtics. And he went 7 for 20 from the field. He did finish with 21 points and 13 rebounds. But it was a hard 21. He took him 20 shots to get to 21 points. So why have the Celtics been his kryptonite? Because they scout him really well. They know kind of what Giannis Antetokounmpo wants to do. And he needs to change sort of his mentality against the Boston Celtics. He needs to adjust to opponents. And I don't know if Giannis is doing that. I think Giannis wants to play like Giannis every time out. And I just think there is an adjustment needed for Antetokounmpo to really exceed against the Celtics team. I know you could say, well, Charlie, if you look at his shot chart, he missed a ton of layups. Well, that, again, like that can't happen against a team like this. They're too good to let layups go by. And I just think Giannis needs to just alter it a little bit. Like if he alters it a bit, I think you'd see it a different version of the Bucs against the Celtics. The Bucs, and we talked about it with the Packers and the Lions, they have a little bit of a Celtics problem. They they really struggle with this Boston team. And they really struggle to get out, you know, get out the gates. And Boston feels comfortable playing this team. They they want to play the Bucs and they take it to them right away. And the Bucs need to be the aggressor at some point against Boston. And I don't know if that starts with Dame. I don't know if that's Giannis playing a little differently or the pick and roll early. But we need to see something else. And there needs to be adjustments because it seemed it's felt very much like how things were run with Bud against the Celtics team. We didn't necessarily, we saw a little bit of it with Dame at the end. But yeah, I, I, need, I need more from Giannis and I just need him to play a little bit differently. I realize he's one of the best players in the world. I, I just think there is a slight adjustment needed. And maybe not, maybe he'll prove me wrong. Maybe, they, you know, and I know you could look at this and say, Charlie, he played poorly and they still had a chance to win and that should be enough. And I'd say, yes, that's true. But if Giannis were able to be 13 to 20 and make six more shots, the Bucs win this game easily. They don't, it's not even an issue, right? So that's where I, I go into, I, I just need Giannis to play 
a little bit more, you know, in a different mindset when it comes to the Celtics. Heat might even be another team where you have to think that way. Uh, Denver, I think, that way. Like, he has to kind of start thinking about, all right, how am I playing this team? Not necessarily am I playing Giannis ball. How am I playing a little bit differently against these teams? And I, I think that's really going to help him. Uh, the question is, will he get there this year? I feel like that's something that you're so stuck, you're so ingratiated in your ways. Are you actually going to just be like, all right, yeah, I'm changing up exactly how I've how I've been doing this for you know the last four or five years, right? So we'll see what happens. Um, but it, it'll be definitely interesting to see what Giannis does against Boston when they play in January. Other takeaways, uh, you know, obviously we kind of talked about with the honest thing, but they, if they just start a little faster and they make a little more baskets around the rim, they win this game pretty easily. It's tough. Uh, I will also say the Bucks are never really out of a game with Damian Lillard. Like that is so exciting. Uh, with the Bucks, all of a sudden we're down ten, inching closer, and then Dame heats up late. He had the missed dunk, which was brutal, which was so fitting for kind of how this game was going, uh, but I, I really love the, the late game Dame stuff. It, it's true, the Dame time thing is very real. And they had that Boston team on the ropes and it's too bad that they couldn't finish, uh, but Dame was very much ready for the fight. And I think that's encouraging, right? He did not quiver, he did not turtle, he had a rough first half, he kind of flushed that first half and really came on strong in the second. So. I liked a lot of that late game stuff with the Bucs and just wish I would have saw that Bucks team in the first quarter. Chris Middleton versus Jason Tatum is not going to work in 2023. One of the bigger issues for the Bucs was when Chris Middleton was out there with the bench unit and got absolutely roasted by Jason Tatum. Uh, Chris Middleton is still recovering from an injury. I want to remind people that. I think that's important, but I think right now, we can't have Chris Middleton on, on Jason Tatum. You gotta hide Chris Middleton, okay? And Andre Jackson Jr., who I'm gonna mention next, is a guy who I definitely think can take Tatum. Marjan Bochamp had some moments against Tatum in this game too. So I think those are the guys, and Giannis for that matter, Like I think those are the guys you use and you just try to hide Chris Middleton because he's just not there defensively. And maybe he'll get back there. Maybe as you know the, the surgery heals and he starts feeling even better, Maybe we'll see, you know, Chris Middleton's defense improve. But right now, it's a complete disaster. And you can't have him on Tatum. And if this is what it is, then you really can't have him on Tatum because he'll tear us up through an entire playoff series. Andre Jackson Jr. is going to be an integral part to the playoff run. I can, I would love to bet that. Like, if I could bet, like, plus 800 that Andre Jackson Jr. has 20 minutes a game in March, I would definitely do it. Uh, I just think Bucks fans need to be patient, which I know is uh, extremely hard to ask because Bucks fans are never fucking patient. But seriously, like, just chill. He needs time. He needs seasoning. He, it's like he's just a, a new brisket, right? And we're just putting the seasoning rub on right now, and we need to let it cook in the slow cooker or in not slow cooker in the smoker. A slow cooker brisket, I feel like, is sacrilegious. Uh, but yeah, we just need to let it cook in the slow cooker. Like, give it time. And Andre Jackson is going to be a huge part of this team. I, I, I can sense it. The minutes he had in the, in the game against Boston were great. Was the only guy really off the bench that gave a shit in this. And it's just gave a shit, but played well in this game. And yeah, I just need more Andre Jackson. But I also know you just need to be patient. Brooke Lopez being on the floor is a massive, massive advantage for the Bucs against the Celtics team. Brooke led the team with 28 points. Brooke had a great game. Uh, my guy, official 4-4, four four, said Brooke was going to show off for Katie George, and he definitely did. Uh, 28 points, 7 rebounds, uh, 12 of 18 from the field, 2 made threes. He had 5 offensive rebounds as well. Uh, Brooke was just a menace down there. And I think with the Porzingis-Horford stuff and, and everything else, like they're able to play Brooke out there. And I, I think that helps the Bucks a lot because... The Boston team, not that great of a rebounding team. It's a little bit of a dirty secret about this Boston squad is that their bigs do not rebound. So you have Brooke Lopez in there just pulling down offensive boards. And that's something that I think can work to the Bucks' advantage if these two teams do meet in the playoffs. And having the ability to use Brooke Lopez more and not have to bring him off the court is a massive advantage for the Milwaukee Bucks. 
Uh, Adrian Griffin's rotations still need work. Uh, you can't have Giannis and Dame out at the same time. Not right. Not against Boston. You can do that against Washington. You can do that against Indiana. You can't do that against Boston. You can't do that against any good team that's on your schedule. Um, that that has to be nipped in the bud. Like you have to have Giannis or Dame out there. Uh, you can't just sub both, especially just because Middleton also is not entirely 100. percent Lastly, the Bucks bench needs to be better. I kind of touched on this that Jackson Jr. was the only one. That I really felt played well. Uh, By Portis was really rough in this game, uh, as well as campaign. Bochamp, I guess that Bochamp did some nice things, but he he was not. It wasn't that impactful. So maybe I'm a little tough on that bench. But they just need to show up. The fact that the Celtics got three double-digit scores off their bench is sickening, right? They played a very short bench uh, last night, but that's that's tough. That's that's a really tough pill to swallow. So we'll certainly see when these two teams lock up again in January. But it was a frustrating night, but also a moral victory night because of just they got it close after being down by 20 points in the third quarter. They found a way to battle back. And the Celtics team can't really hold leads. And I I wonder if that's going to come to haunt them later this year. All right, very quickly on the games this weekend, you have the Bucs in an in-season tournament against the Washington Wizards. I believe if the Bucs win that game, they clinch. I think that's right. It's in Milwaukee, so it will be the funky court, the blue outfits, everything like that. You'll have the whole thing. Washington's second game against this Wizards team. Uh, And so we'll see if they're able, if history repeats itself from earlier this week. It would be brutal to not get the... Uh, in-season tournament win uh, if you're, you know, because I think that's correct, right? Uh, They do not say, but I believe once you get that third win, you are automatically qualified for the next round. It's just a question of do you win your division or do you win do you win the league, right? So oh yeah, they quit, they clinched her, so yeah, three, yeah, three and oh you get it. So Indiana has clinched the top spot because of prior victories, um, and they could host one of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals, which is really interesting. So they they will play host the quarterfinals. So that's kind of how it works. I think everybody's kind of in on this in-season tournament, which is really interesting. But yeah, it's and point differential is is going to matter. So I, I wonder if the Bucks are going to absolutely pour it on this Washington team. I would I didn't I look at the over tomorrow. Uh, the over was easy at like two forty two uh, with. The Bucks and the Wizards on Monday night was it's 246. Wow, that's crazy. Last two Bucks home games, 247 and 246. That's absolutely out of this world. And then you have the Badgers and the Gophers. And we haven't really talked about Badger football. Um, you know, part of it's just not playing well. Um, I don't think a lot of people care. Uh, Mitch told me that the other day, and I was like, oh, you feel like the diehards are the only ones that are left standing. It is an important game for Wisconsin, though. I mean, you win that game, you get the axe, you're, you have seven wins. It's not your projected, I think, eight and a half. So, yeah, you, you trail a little bit. But I do think the ba- I, we talked about it a little bit how the Badgers fans just need to be a little more understanding of, A, the cupboard was very bare, more bare than anyone thought, and the fact that they had a ton of injuries. And, they, you know, getting the axe back, I think, would be a big accomplishment for Luke Fickle and it. It'll mean where you're going to Bulls. You know, do you want to go to Nashville or do you want to go to Detroit? Uh, I think that that would be that would be something. I've heard Detroit's lovely. Uh, shout out to my guy Bo, but like that would be something I'd be telling my guys. I'd be like, hey, do you want to go to Detroit and play some meaningless back team or I'll play an SEC team? Uh, that that would be how I'd be pitching. You know, beyond just winning the axe. And I do think they want to win it. And it's gonna be cold. It's gonna be like thirty. I think it was like thirty-two degrees. It'll be a chilly one in uh, Huntington Bank Stadium. So. Hopefully Badgers can come alive. Uh, I will be cheering for the Badgers. I know there are some that are uh, Marquette, all Marquette, and they'll be cheering for Minnesota, uh, which we probably got to do a podcast about because that, that's been popping up with Marquette playing well. Uh, and I have very sharp takes, which I've done on this podcast before, but it's not, not never a bad thing to resurface. Okay, that does it for today's show. What did I give you? I gave you, I, it'll be less than an hour when I make the edits, but I gave you nearly an hour of programming on a day that I'm off, uh, after two Thanksgiving meals, my dad threw the fuck down again with the turkey. Uh, just an absolute gorgeous bird. I probably have to post that to Twitter because it's just 
So good. Um, but so that that's more than enough reason why you can't, you know, share this with your friends, leave a review, post it on social. I don't care. Do, do whatever you got to do, man. But spread the good word of uh, Tapping the Keg. And we'll see you guys on Monday. We'll have Bucks recaps for you. They play on Sunday too. Uh, we'll also talk about the Green We'll get ready, kind of take a look at the Chiefs and everybody else the Packers have left on our schedule, kind of see where the playoff hunt sort of falls falls in line. Uh, we'll also talk probably a little bit on the Axe game. And I think that'll be it. So that'll probably be Monday's show. So stay tuned for that. And we'll have the schedule out for you as well. And get ready for Badger Hate Week uh, as Marquette Wisconsin will hook up on Sunday, Saturday. All right, take care, guys. Have a great weekend. We will see you on Monday. Good luck with your shopping deals. Peace.